They all told me to get a college football podcast, so I did. I'm John Harris, Football Takeover. It's time for Football with Friends. Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome in to another episode of Football with Friends. I am your host, John Harris, owner-proprietor, footballtakeover.com, and me and you, we are friends tonight or in the morning or in the afternoon. Whenever you're listening to this, you and I are going to be together, and we've got plenty to talk about. And I thought about having a guest on, and then I was like, you know, there's so many different things that I want to hit that I felt like... It was maybe best to just carve out some space, hit some things, react to some of the things happening in college football, and just make that a podcast tonight, because I'm recording this at night. So hopefully when you're hearing this, you're not at night, but I don't care. It doesn't matter when when you're listening to it. And I figured, you know what? Let's rock and roll with college football taking over with our Football Friends podcast in partnership with the Texas Bowl, and if you haven't heard the news, Texas Bowl will be December 31st. The game is tentatively, it's a tentative, everything in college football is tentative, but 7 p.m. Central Time is going to be that game. If you listen to the East Coast, it's 8 o'clock. Out on the West Coast, it'll be 5 o'clock, but there were some news with bowl games actually on Thursday where the Rose Bowl is going to play, and that's a semifinal game this year. That's going to be played with no fans. Uh, there are going to be limited fans uh, at the Fiesta Bowl. I think it's only going to be family and friends out at the Fiesta Bowl. So it's it's difficult when you see these bowl games that have such pomp and circumstance and pageantry, and to watch the Rose Bowl where we had we've had two fi- two semifinals, 2014, that was Oregon Florida State, and then you had 2017, which was Oklahoma and Georgia, one of the great college football games of all time that took place out there and it was just such an electric atmosphere and then this year there will not be anybody out there other than the two teams now I can tell you from having been in the building where we've had no fans inside and outside we our first game with the Texans we had no fans our uh, third game of the year which is right after that because we played the Ravens and we went to Pittsburgh that was outside with no fans and then we played Thanksgiving against the Lions with no fans. And I can tell you that the no fan situation is, um, it, it's not the worst thing in the world because football's going on. And let's, let's be honest, if you're watching at home, a lot of times the angles you get, sometimes you don't realize that the crowd's not there. You get some crowd noise piped in through the broadcast and you're like, hey, I'm watching, I'm watching the Rose Bowl. No big deal. While you're there going through it, I think there's probably a little bit of juice lost by the players. I know in the Thanksgiving game, and I've said this a few times on our local airwaves, playing the Lions, it was like we had to bring our own juice, and we and we did. And so when we get to the playoff, and that obviously is going to be one spot where we take this podcast tonight, those teams, those four teams, are going to have to, uh, when they're playing with no fans, they're going to have to bring their own juice. And I say four because of an article I wrote last week, I always do my The Weekend That Was. And as I was doing my The Weekend That Was last week, I got me, it got me thinking about this playoff situation. And I think that's the first kind of burr up my backside a little bit is the playoff situation. It's four teams. And I made a case in The Weekend That Was, you can go back and read the whole thing, 
that for this year and this year only, make it eight. And here's why. You have teams in the ACC, like Notre Dame and Clemson, that have played nine, ten games. You have teams in the Big 12, same thing. You have teams in the SEC that have played eight, nine games. You have others that have missed weeks. A&M was one of those teams. Now, they're number five in the most recent rankings, but you do not have even close to any sort of baseline of comparison when Ohio State has played three games, when the Pac-12 has played three games, teams in the Pac-12, Meanwhile, ACC, Big 12, SEC have played seven, eight, nine, and even within those conferences, they don't have that. Now, I know your first thought is, well, John, they don't have consistency across the board. Yeah, but teams are at least playing 12 games and then a championship game if needed. There's at least a body of work. When you're talking about Ohio State, and I don't want this misconstrued because I do think Taken on its face, face value, Ohio State is one of the four best teams, most talented teams in the country. Between Justin Fields at quarterback, Wyatt Davis at guard, uh, Chris Olave at wide receiver, Master Teague who's really run the ball very well. Flip it over to defense. They come at you with waves on the defensive line. Tough Borland, Pete Warner at linebacker, along with Baron Browning. You've got Sean Wade at corner. Seven Woods on the other side. It is, without a doubt, a team that should be in the college football playoff. However, how do you make a case for them having only played five games versus the other teams that have played nine, ten games? I I just don't know how you make that fair. The way that I came up with to make it fair will actually bring in one of the pieces of news that came about on Thursday. Make it eight teams. So here's what you do. The Power Five controls all that. So take your five Power Five champions. Because one other issue with this is the Pac-12. Because right now you have USC, Colorado, Washington, all 3-0. But none of them ranked highly. I think USC was at 20 the last time I looked. I have to double check. But they were 20 the last time uh, that... Uh, I know the rankings came out. So do you you know that USC is number 20? I mean, they could play a full schedule after starting 3-0 and finish 3-9. You go, well, yeah, they deserve to. But you have no idea. 3-0, I mean, yeah, they've beaten three Pac-12 teams. You know, Colorado's beaten three Pac-12 teams. Although, actually, I'm sorry, one of those was San Diego State last week because they found a way to match up Colorado with a team not outside the Pac-12 because all the other Pac-12 teams were playing or couldn't play. So from that perspective, you have only, because the Pac-12 had no kind of juice going in, you only had Oregon, and Oregon gets knocked off by Oregon State, and USC. So USC's sitting at 20, Oregon's sitting at 23, Washington's at 22. None of them have a shot for the national championship. Why? Politics. Because they didn't play the first how many ever months of the year. And the Big Ten could get caught in that as well. So Power Five commissioners get together and say, look, move this sucker to eight games this year and this year only. 
assuming that 2021 and, and beyond will be back to a normal, regular schedule, if there's anything normal after what we've gone through. Go to eight teams. Five Power Five champions. That way, you get a Pac-12 champion in there regardless. Now, it doesn't mean that those top five end up being ranked in the top five, but you just give every champion an opportunity, okay, from each conference, SEC, ACC, Big 12, Big 10, Pac-12. Those five go in, okay? You get two at-large teams. So you continue to do your rankings, and the next two, the highest-ranked non-champions go in. Don't care what conference they come from, two highest ranked go in. Okay, that gives you seven, right? And for this one year, because it's such a weird and screwy year, that eighth team is going to come from a two-team playoff championship from the non-power five. Now, that's a tough one to determine in some sense. But if I were the non-Power 5 commissioners, i get on the phone and say, look, here's what we're going to do. We're going to play the top two non-Power 5. Now, let's take, let's take Cincinnati, for instance. What if Cincinnati gets one of those at-large bids? Great, Cincinnati's in. But there's a guaranteed spot for the non-Power 5 playoff champion. And it's the two teams from non-Power 5 playing against one another and the cha- and the winner of that ends up being your eighth team it ends up being cha- I, I thought about doing a four team little deal but that it gets complicated so what you do is you play that championship on the 23rd you play it in the rnl carriers new orleans bowl and it's cincinnati and byu knocks off coastal this weekend that game was scheduled a day ago and they're going to play this weekend and i love it BYU knocks off Coastal at Coastal. BYU then takes on Cincinnati. Cincinnati knocks them off in the RNL Carriers New Orleans Bowl. Cincinnati gets that eighth spot. So then at that point, you've got eight teams. You're going to play seven games to get a champion. The seventh game, remember, is the national championship game. So you have six games, and it fits perfectly. You have six New Year's Day six games. The four games that are not semifinal games this year, which would be the Cotton, the Fiesta, the Orange, and the Peach. Is that right? Yeah. Because the two playoff games, two semifinals will be the Rose and Sugar. So those two will stay your semifinal games. But you'll have the four others, like I just mentioned, the Cotton, the Orange, the Fiesta, and the Peach. Those will be quarterfinal games. And you just seed it. One, uh, one through, you get them seeded one through eight. Once you get them in, you seed them one through eight. The top four teams in order pick their bowl. So, if Alabama's one, Clemson two, um, Ohio State three, Notre Dame four. Let's say it's, that's the way it goes. They pick in order. Alabama says, we want to play in the Peach Bowl. Then you've got Clemson next. Clemson says, we want to be in the Orange Bowl. And they pick their bowls. And then they'll match up. One versus eight, two versus seven, three versus six, four versus five. That's played New Year's weekend. So you can play that on January 1st. You got four awesome quarterfinal games. This is sweet. 
the four winners come out of that. Then you reseed them like the NFL. And you take the top two, or take the top team in that, and you give that team, do you want to play in the Rose Bowl or do you want to play in the Sugar Bowl? So let's say that Alabama wins. They're the highest-ranked team. Alabama says, well, we want to play the semifinal in the Sugar Bowl. That leaves, let's say, Clemson to then play in the Rose Bowl. They would then play uh, the seeded opponents as such in the semifinal. Then that's on January 8th, day, uh, January 9th, sorry. That's a Saturday all of themselves. Nine days later, they end up playing the national championship between those two teams. And all you give up is one week. You move the national championship game back from January 11th to January 18th. Now, at that point, I figured, who's mad at that? Power Five get all, the Power Five commissioners all get a team in there. They got to be happy. The non-Power Five, they at least get an opportunity. I would think they've got to be happy. The New Year's Day Six Bowl games get a massively important game, all of them. They've got to be happy. Now, moving back a week, that can be problematic. I I get it from the COVID situation and all that. I mean, whatever. But you just, you move it back a week. Maybe you bubble the teams up once they get to the semifinals. I, I don't know. But you do move it back a week. So who's mad about that? Who gets upset about that? The other the other teams that don't, I, I don't know. Team number nine that doesn't get in, I don't know. But that to me makes some sense. And the reason it makes sense is you can then, even though teams aren't playing the same number of games within their conference, you get a champion and that champion has an opportunity. And I think that's all you really can ask for. So if Ohio State gets knocked off in the, in the championship game, so be it. Out. Could they get an at-large? Potentially. Notre Dame's going to get a, Notre Dame's going to get an at-large bid if they lose to Clemson in the ACC championship. It gets important. It gets interesting if Notre Dame lose, uh, beats Clemson. It'll be interesting at that point in the ACC championship. But uh, that's for a different time. But that's my solution. And the last thing I said about this was it's 2020. We're seeing teams schedule games within 48 hours of playing a dadgum game. So why the hell not schedule something completely and totally wacky and weird and wild? Why not? Why not? Now, you don't have to keep it at eight teams. You're just doing eight teams for this year. You go back to your four-team thing. You'll eventually get to eight teams down the road. Just trust me, you will. You will definitely get to eight teams down the road. But you can go back to four Get back to normalcy for a little while, then crank it, you know, move it to six after five, six years. Then you can move it to eight and it'll stay at eight for a while. But you at least get to try it on for size this year. And you give everybody an opportunity to get in the mix this year. And maybe that scares power five teams. Getting a, a Cincinnati in there. Ooh, we don't want Cincinnati in there. Desmond Ritter and crew. Boy, that could be tough. We don't want to match up with them. All these years we've been better than. Uh, and they're always lesser than, they get an opportunity. They get an opportunity for one time, at least for now. Maybe in the future it'll, it'll, it'll grow. But you go eight teams this year, you go back to four teams the following year. Once you get back to normal, away you go. That's just, that's just me. Along those lines, we, I mentioned that Coastal Carolina has taken on BYU this weekend. And I, I'm out of my mind excited about this. 
And here's why. When the rankings came out, BYU, well, they moved up a spot to 13. Now, Coastal Carolina is sitting at 18. Both of them are 9-0. And both of them have had good wins, but not the kind of win where you go, ooh, BYU should be top five. Coastal should be top seven, whatever. They haven't had it. So they called each other up and said, look, Coastal, you're, you're losing out this week. Liberty can't play. So let's do this. Two 9-0 teams. Not so much going to have the stage to ourselves, but let's match up. Let's do this. This is a total 2020 thing to do, but I love it. And that's why I think you can pull off that non-Power 5 championship this year. If it comes to, if it comes to where, oh, you know what? We're only going to have four teams in this playoff. If I were, at that point, Cincinnati wins the AAC. BYU, even Coastal again, Liberty, Buffalo, Marshall, I would get on the phone with all those commissioners and say, look, let's get wild. They're not going to allow us in this playoff. Let's create our own playoff this year. Let's take these two bowl games, and you play them, they'll play you. That's our two games, and then the two winners of that will then match up in a championship game. And I, my my thought was, you know what? Call my man David Fletcher, GM of Lone Star Sports Entertainment, who puts on the Texas Bowl here. And yes, they sponsor the podcast. I don't give a damn. I've seen David Fletcher at work. That man could schedule a football game in no time flat. He could make it happen right here in Houston. Hey, play the non-Power 5 championship game right here in Houston. Bring in, uh, I think we've had maybe twelve to 15,000 fans here. That's what locally we've been able to do. Let twelve to fifteen thousand fans come in. Let the you know from you know for a championship game of that sort. Why not? Let's get wild, man. Why not? So I would get those teams on the horn. But I love seeing Coastal taking on BYU in Conway, South Carolina, which is a tremendous place, by the way, near the beach. Man, Coastal Carolina. I mean, if Jamie Chadwell goes somewhere else, no offense, but. I'm going to call up and get that coastal job, man. That would be a fun job. Live at the beach, coach college football. Come on. Come on. That's going to be a fun game. Zach Wilson, BYU quarterback, has been phenomenal this season. But so has Grayson McCall, quarterback for Coastal Carolina. And I love Coastal's offense. Love it. And they're both 9-0. I mean, Coastal had a huge win against Appalachian State. That was as fun a game as I watched. Uh, not all year, but man, it was a fun football game to watch. And it's not as if there isn't more talent on that field uh, or going to be on that field. Uh, Christensen at left tackle is an absolute dude. That guy is a stud. And I love watching him play. I think he's probably a right tackle in the future. He can play tackle, I think, though. So uh, he's good. Jackson, defensive end, number nine, I believe. About 6'3", 275, coming off the edge, does some good things. And I love the inside players for Coastal. So BYU Coastal is, is going to be one heck of a football game. And I'm so glad that those teams are getting ready to play. All right, before we get to my uh, like last iron in the fire, I, I got to let you know about the Texas Bowl that we have, we're having right here uh, in Houston. It is going to be December 31st 
2020. It's going to be fun. You do not want to miss that Texas Bowl. The tradition of postseason college football continues deep in the heart of Houston at the Texas Bowl. Big 12 taking on SEC December 31st. That's a Thursday night. Don't miss your chance to be a part of college football bowl season unlike any other. I think we've made that clear tonight. Sign up for the waitlist at TexasBowl.com to get exclusive pre-sale access, the latest event updates, ticket deals, and more. That's the Texas Bowl. I have heard through the grapevine there might be a new sponsor for the Texas Bowl, but I can't speak to it yet. But when we do, um, we'll definitely speak on that. All right. My final, my final thing tonight, outside of some predictions, I am going to do predictions at the very end, has to do with what Kirk Herbstreit brought up the other night. And I'm not, I'm not going to piggyback off of Kirk too, Kirk too much because it really isn't about Kirk. What he said about teams potentially opting out of games by claiming they have too many COVID issues, and a lot of that was brought up when Clemson took on FSU, or was going to. And then FSU was like, no, we don't agree. We shouldn't be playing against that team. And, all. and so there's a lot of medical rigmarole, if you will. Well, that's not the right word. I don't want, I don't want to, uh, in any way, shape, or form, minimize the impact of COVID-19. I think there have been disagreements between universities, between schools for reasons that I don't know that I really want to get into all that. And I think Kirk waded into that and probably shouldn't have. And he sent an apology right after it happened. He put it on his Twitter and said, look, this is, I didn't mean to put Michigan on blast. I've not got any information. Uh, I'm sorry. And I thought his apology was sincere and we, we move on. But I think one thing that he, I think he misspoke in a sense. I think what he needed to say was what's bothering me are not so much that teams are quote unquote opting out, but you're seeing the number of players quote unquote opt out. My buddy Cole Kublik, who you've heard on this podcast before, had actually said, can we stop calling it opting out at this point of the year? And I almost tweeted back to him, and and not arguing with him in any way, shape, or form. I said, okay, changing opting out to quitting. And I've said this many, many times as it pertains to players that leave early to go to the NFL draft. I will never try to assume that I know the situation when a young man declares for the NFL draft. I won't do it. I don't, uh, that's his decision to make. But the key about that decision is it comes at the end of the season. Now, there have been some players over the years that have opted out of bowl games. Hey, look, I played the whole year. I even played in the championship game, conference championship game, but I'm not going to play in the bowl game. And I get that to a degree. I get that to a degree because the bowl games, and and I've seen them as much as I love the Texas Bowl, and I want to see everybody playing that Texas Bowl, and I want to see everybody playing the bowl games. There are some players going, hey, man, I'm just going to start getting my NFL prep on now. And we saw that really start with Christian McCaffrey and with Leonard Fournette. And I sure as heck don't have a problem with running backs. 
because running backs are on a short shelf life. The, the running backs are, they're not under different rules, but they're under different rules, if that makes sense, just because of the ferocity and the pounding, the ferocity of defenders, the pounding that they take. And then they're playing in one final, one final bowl game and they got the opportunity to carry it 20 times. I mean, it's just, I, running backs are different. Receivers I can see being a little bit different, maybe. But what's happened in 2020, I think, is and has been really unfortunate. Because the players in college football were essentially given this hall pass, if you will, in which they could use it kind of at any time. They had the opportunity to opt out whenever they saw fit. The irony of that was there was a, there were a lot of opt-outs at the beginning of the season, or even before the season. Mika Parsons from, uh, Mika Parsons from Penn State, he opted out. Shot Bateman opted out from Minnesota um, because it looked like Big Ten was not going to play. Rondell Moore opted out from uh, Purdue. But then the Big Ten came back, and Rondell Moore and Rashad Bateman decided, hey, I want to go play. Parsons was already kind of too far gone. He was like, no, I'm not coming back. And Parsons is going to be a top 10 pick, I would imagine, anyways. Unless some of the allegations that have been out there about him turn out to be true, then we could have a whole different situation. But be that as it may, what's become very troubling are the opt-outs that have happened with two games left in the season. There were, even more troubling, were opt-outs that happened halfway through a season. A perfect example of that is Paris Ford, the safety at Pitt. Had a rough ball game. I think it was against Notre Dame. And I remember watching that game going, I love Paris Ford. Paris Ford's got an opportunity to play in this league and be a very, very good player. He's been pumped up on some sites and some places as a first-round safety. And he has a bad game, and... Really kind of got raked over the coals and then just said, I'm out. Now, the issue there is, is there a, fa- is there a family issue? Is there, uh, is, did something happen? Was there a COVID situation that forced him to opt out? If so, then fine. I have no issue. But if Paris Ford opted out, because A, he had the opportunity to, given the rules of college football this year. And oh, by the way, he didn't really care for how he was spoken to or coached or pulled out of the game or whatever the case might be. I do have an issue with that. And I have a major issue with that. And I'm starting to see all these players, I'm opting out, I'm opting out. Rashad Bateman went back to Minnesota. Things got tough. He opted out. Rakeem Boyd at Arkansas, who I love. He went to high school just down the street from me at Stratford High School uh, here in Houston. Two games left in the year. He's opting out. Sam Cosme, tackle, Texas, opting out. And I started thinking, am I part of the problem? And by that, what I mean, not me specifically, but because of what I do, when I write about NFL draft prospects, when I put it out there that, hey, this guy is a fringe first-rounder, This guy's got an opportunity to be drafted on day one, maybe even day two. How much of what we are doing, me, Dane Brugler, Lance Zerline, draft guys, all of us, Daniel Jeremiah, all of us 
that love what we do and are in that business, how much of what we're doing is a disservice to these players because they're seeing it going, hey, well, this site has me as a top 25 pick. This site says I might be the best player at this particular position. And these players are like, I'm bouncing. I'm out. It's a dangerous precedent. And I don't know what it's going to be like going forward. I really don't. Now, if the game, if the games in the schedule go back to normal next year, where the seasons are over essentially after Thanksgiving, they don't stretch all the way into December, okay, maybe we look at it, all right, are you going to opt out? Now, these guys are opting out, and a good number of them I saw after the Thanksgiving game. But is it lost on anybody that Sam Cosme, after Texas lost any chance of playing in the Big 12 championship game, that, oh, he opted out the, either the next day or the day after that? I mean, I'm curious about it. And Sam Cosme is probably going to be a fairly high pick. But if there's such a concern about health, injury, whatever, then why did you even play this year? Why did you even go out there? Oh, I wanted to, I wanted to show it off. Okay, we'll finish the season. And I think for these players, the one story that, I know. I've had this story told to me by a couple of people. There's a GM in the league and was at the combine. This is probably, I don't know, five, six years ago, I guess. And there was a player who had opted out of the bowl game, of the team's bowl game. And so during the combine interview, the player was asked, what makes you the player that you are, what's one of your, what's one of your traits that we can't see on film? And he stopped for a second and he said, I'm a great teammate. And all of a sudden the general manager in the room who had kind of been quiet to that point turned and said, what, what'd you say? And he said, I'm a great teammate. And the general manager said, you bailed on your team. You had a bowl game and you didn't play. How great a teammate are you? And really kind of raked him over the coals. And I bring that story up because I do think it is something that these players have got to realize. Look, if you're a top five pick, if you're, you know, Panay Sewell, who I think is going to be a top five pick, or should be, and you opt out for the whole season, like, I, I, I understand that. Like, opt out for the whole season. But the whole thing of playing seven, six games, seven games, and yeah, you've got two other seasons on film, in some cases, some just have this season on film for NFL scouts. But if I'm an NFL scout, if I'm NFL GM, I'd be damned if I'm going to sit there and say, why am I taking that guy? That guy played five games, and when his team got out of the championship race, he decided to opt out. He'd had enough. I don't know that I want that guy in my building. But I think we're going to see a lot of these guys be test cases for this. And there will be a lot of players that are going to go, man, did I get bad advice? Who gave me this advice? Now, some of these opt-outs are just that. They're, players are quitting on their team. I would imagine a handful of the opt-outs literally are COVID-related. Not many. Not many. A lot of these are due to me and many others who write about the draft and look at it and try to project where these players are going to go and what they're going to do. 
But the one thing that I got to be straight up honest about is the fact that when players are opting out halfway through a season, the season's not over. There are two more games left, and you're not finishing the season with your teammates. You are not a good teammate. That GM had it right. You're not a good teammate. Don't throw that. At, don't throw that out there and tell me you are. You're not. What you're thinking about is your future. Which, fine. Think about your future. We get it. We've seen a lot of players get injured in a game late. We know the Jalen Smith story. We know all about that. We know what happened to Jake. But both of them said would have still played in those bowl games. Finish the season. And as crazy as this season is, to not finish the season, especially at a place like University of Texas, where a game or two at the end might save a coach's job. And Sam Cosme is that important to the University of Texas offensive line. He could have saved that guy's, he could have helped save Tom Herman's job potentially. Again, I don't know each and every individual situation. But outside looking in, opting out two days after a loss to Iowa State that takes you out of the running for the Big 12 championship is a little odd. Rashad Bateman not getting the touches he's getting in Minnesota, opted back out a week or two ago, doesn't look good. I don't think it does. And I guarantee you there are going to be a lot of people that are nowhere near as progressive as I am in looking at this thing that are going to look at it and go, nope, not taking that guy. Why? Why do you not want to take that guy? Quitting his teammates halfway through a year, what's he going to do for us? But he's going to the NFL. He's going to get paid. He's trying to save himself for it. Don't care. Great teammates don't change their stripes and vice versa. And you're showing it and giving the NFL scouts the information that you'd hope they don't have. You're kind of putting it right there on a platter. And that's unfortunate. So if you're sitting there thinking, do I opt out? Do I not play in this game? Do I not play in a bowl game? I don't know. Play. Finish the season. Finish the season. Because I promise you it'll pay off. Because there are going to be too many guys making this opt-out, as Cole Kublik put it. Eh, let's not call it opt-out. Let's call it what it is. I'll call it what it is. It's quitting on your team before the season's over. That's what it is. Now, you have family issues or you have COVID issues or whatever the case might be. Fine. Get at me. Let me know. Okay, cool. Whatever. Explain it away in your NFL Combine interview. But if you don't, check yourself. Because you should be playing and finishing the season with your team. Am I old school for thinking that? No. I just explained to you earlier that going into a bowl game, a, yes, meaningless bowl game, and some people argue, yeah, well, the season's meaningless now, right? Isn't the season meaningless with two more games? Yes, to a degree, from the standings perspective, it's still the season. The bowl game's always been an exhibition. That's where I would draw the line. Finish the damn season, people. All of us. Well, let's try and do it as safely as possible. And if you're leaving because you're scared of the safety, you should never should have been there in the first place. All right, that's going to do it for our Football with Friends podcast. A big thanks to all my friends over at the Texas Bowl, where the SEC will meet the Big 12 on Thursday night, December 31st. Have that circled on your calendar. Give them a follow on Twitter, at Texas Bowl. 
and hopefully there will be a sponsor very, very soon. See you guys next time, and as always, thank you for listening.